Philo community. Como estas? All right, that's pretty much it. Uh, that's all my Spanish. And maybe you're wondering, why am I speaking Spanish at all? Well, we just finished our first ever Philo in Espanol a couple weeks ago, and it was an amazing experience. You know, I've said it a few times, but tech people in the local church are pretty much the same everywhere. We might speak different languages, but we all speak, in air quotes, local church production. It's what we do. And you know what? In classic Todd Elliott fashion, I said yes to something that I probably didn't fully appreciate the amount of work it was going to take. And putting an event on is hard work. And doing one in a language you don't even speak even a little was super challenging. And that is why we, we had an amazing team of native Spanish-speaking technical artists who jumped in on this project, and they were super helpful, and without which, really, Philo and Espanol would never have happened. So, Alberti, Pimash, Chucho, and your crews, you guys were amazing. They, they helped us translate 21 breakouts and four main session talks into Spanish for either subtitles or overdubbing. And by the way, I sound pretty amazing in Spanish. And you know what, they really pushed us to also redo the worship sets in all Spanish, which was a great addition to this event. But anyway, we had the worship team from the Spanish service at Lake Point Church in Dallas help, as well as a couple of amazing musicians and musical leaders from the Dominican Republic. They jumped in to lead our community in worship. And if you've attended a Philo in the past, you know that experiencing worship when you don't have to worry about any of the technology is so life-giving and refreshing. And the people who led us really gave us an amazing gift. Now, once the conference actually started, it was amazing to see people from all over the place, some in the United States, but the Dominican Republic, Bolivia, Venezuela, Colombia, Argentina. I mean, churches all over Latin America are going to be more effective because of the technical artists that invested that time to learn new skills and to be reconnected with the idea of why production in the church even matters and does what I do even matter, uh, which is really what File is all about. We want to help the technical artists become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. And we do that through events like Philo and Espanol, but also Philo Conference that we do in Chicago in May, Philo Staffing, Philo Coaching, and through the Philo Podcast. And I have to say, I am super humbled to be a part of something like Philo. So just thanks for listening to our podcast. And I really hope that it encourages you as much as these conversations really encourage me. I love sitting down with people and talking about church production and the different aspects of what it means to be a church technical artist. And this episode, I got to sit down with Wes Hartley. He is formerly the TD at Lake Point Church in Dallas. Yes, the same one that helped us with Philo and Espanol. And he's now an adjunct professor at Dallas Baptist Seminary. And he's teaching a brand new set of curriculum on church media. And the best part about his courses is that the Philo book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas, it's required reading, so bonus. Anyway, we talked a lot about communication and how important it is on the teams we lead, and we had a great time, Wes and I. So let's just get right to it. How's it going, Wes? It's going great. Nice. So Wes and I go back. You know what? Actually, uh, when I think about kind of uh, when we first met, and maybe you have a different recollection, but we had breakfast with Houston Clark uh, at some place in Dallas must have been. Yeah. And uh, around 2015 or somewhere in that zone, which is kind of the beginning of the Philo journey for me, Houston was like, hey, I got somebody you, you guys should connect. And so we had breakfast. But you have to understand, I worshipped you from afar. Oh, really? 
Yeah, because I we I worked at Lake Point. We were site ten for the Willow Creek. Oh, right. Summit. Yeah, yeah. And so I kind of loved your cowbell skills. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was a little man crush. So that was kind of. A, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty I sure. I was the, disappointed that you didn't bring your cowbell. But oh, actually, it's in a box. I was cleaning my basement out uh, yesterday, and I found the cowbell. Okay. Yeah, well, I bought a special cowbell and had a sticker made for the 20th anniversary of the GLS. It was that year, and that was my last year. And so I had like the branded cowbell the last year. So you could probably sell that on eBay for about uh, five bucks or so. <laughs> right, so, the cost yeah. of shipping, I think. Yeah, yeah. well, that's extra. Yeah. Sure, so. Oh, man, Site 10. Yeah, so actually, before I played the cowbell, I was Site 13. I was a TD of a of a GLS host site. And uh, yeah. the first year that I did it at Willow Creek as a staff person, it was, uh, I was like, wow, this is a lot harder than being a site host. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, back Go in figure. the day, though, being a site host was a big deal because you weren't ever sure exactly how it would come down. And it, like, we, it was always in August, so one of two things would happen. It was either severe thunderstorms that blocked the satellite signal. Oh, right. Or we had it one time where it was so hot that the signal cut out. And so it was like 110 <laughs> degrees. And so it was terrible. So, yeah, it, it was always an adventure that we, we ended up praying a lot and all that. Yeah. And those were good times. Well, those now were, it just seems so easy with living as one, you know. Right, right. I mean, I th for, for reference sake, it was that we're talking 2002, 2003, kind of in that yeah. zone. So, yeah. yeah, things were very different back then. Very different. Yeah. yeah. I don't, there wasn't even an internet backup stream. No. Or if there was, we were still like, on AOL. Yeah. Why would we use that? Yeah. Never. <laughs> I think one year as uh, one year we we had some volunteers that were really into satellite technology and so their living room was just like racks of satellite uplink and downlink and whatever and so they had a KU band dish they donated to us and so we pulled the summit uh, down one year on this giant KU band. <laughs> I'm not sure that was a gift. No, yeah. Well, back then it was yeah, it looked amazing. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, 2015. So maybe uh, back then you were working for Lake Point. You were still site 10. Uh, why don't you maybe tell, how did you get started doing production in the local church and what did your job kind of look like and evolve into to yeah. where you are now? So my first uh, tech job in church ever, I was 12. All right. And uh, it was an Ikigami tube camera. Ooh. Yeah, so that had the three Plumicom tubes, and they had just come out with the um, electronic zoom. Whoa! Instead, instead of the hand crank. Sure. And I was twelve, and I didn't know any different, so I learned how to use it really quick. Uh -huh. I just, I thought this was great. This is way less boring than sitting in church. Uh huh. And uh, then they were like, the, I guess some deacons or somebody <laughs> like that kid holding that camera, you know, over the balcony. We shouldn't let that happen. So they punished me and put me into the control room. Okay. So by by the time I was 14, I was directing. <laughs> yeah. And my first volunteer recruitment was my dad. Okay. TD for me. So he switched. So I'm directing my dad, which is an interesting dynamic. Right. At 14, especially. Yeah. At, yeah. So that was neat. And, and we just did it, you know, for the nursery and the closed caption. But, you know, it, to me, it was a broadcast. So sure. It, it was way less boring than setting in church. <laughs> and then uh, 
so that's how I got started. And then I ended up going to, to college uh, for television. And my, my minister of media at my church was also my professor. Okay. And so he kind of helped me along that path. I had no idea you could actually earn a living working in a church. Right, doing, right. Doing tech. That was so, you know, not a thing. And remember, when I started, there was not tech. It was TV. Sure. Okay. So, so sound was just kind of like there was a guy who ran sound and that was it. Right. Right. And then, uh, so yeah, so I went to college and everything. And then after college, I, I got an internship at Prestonwood Baptist church in Dallas in sure. North Dallas and, uh, spent six years there, helped them with a relocation, which was massive. And then I ended up at Lake Point church in 2000. Okay. And so uh, we had two services. We had a Saturday night and a Sunday morning and when I started, and then three people, a part-time and two full-time. And then when I left, we had 23 staff members. Oof. Wow. Yeah, and I, I think it was 21 services when I left. Oh, my so, goodness. On the weekend. So, yeah, it was a little intense. And what, but, was your, what was your job? I mean, was it all kind of strictly in the TV or video realm? No. By the time it was Lake Point, um, it was everything. It was... Uh, sound lights, video, um, you know, cart ministry, <laughs> AV, all of it. <laughs> the, the only thing, fortunately, I didn't have to do IT and I didn't have to do uh, Viscom and the print. Okay. So I was able to really work in that sweet spot for me was the live production of the sure. weekend service. So, and then working with volunteers and developing them. So that was fun. That was, that was really great. Uh -huh. I also, you know, as since I started in, in uh, in tech as a as a student, I really had a heart for trying to draw in students into our ministry and and give them a place and treat them with respect. And so, I mean, we had a lot of students active in That's our group. Cool. In fact, one of the directors that is in rotation at Lake Point started when he was in middle school, and he's okay. still as an adult. He's married and they have a baby on the way. He still directs. Wow. Um, yeah, so that was, that's always a really cool deal. Sure. But I had these parents come and they'd say, Hey, I, my, my kid wants to go to school yeah. to learn how to do this. <laughs> Where should they go? Uh huh. And I'd kind of look around and like, I, you may have to kind of build your own degree. Right. Have them yeah, volunteer them here. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of help them know what kind of skills they might want to look at as part of a degree program. But I really became more and more convicted about the fact there really wasn't a great pipeline of, of educating formally students into the realm of church media and uh -huh. church tech. And so I, I was like, well, somebody should do that. Yeah. You know, I'm talking to the Lord. <laughs> and he's like, well, yeah, I know. It's a great idea. How about you do that? Right. And I'm like, well, I'm really busy. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have a degree for that. He goes, that's okay. You go ahead and get that. Uh -huh. and so, <laughs> so I started getting my master's degree. And then I realized to do any kind of university work, you have to have a PhD. So uh -huh. I, I dug into that. I had talked myself out of it. But a, fr a friend from Ghana just kind of said, no, this is what you need to do. He uh -huh. was at my kitchen table. And I mean, he kind of shook his finger at me and everything. <laughs> it was kind of spooky. I was like, are you Ezekiel or something? I don't know yeah. what's happening. And uh, so I, I went ahead and did my PhD. And 
at the end of 2018 in December, I knew the the two career paths had to diverge at some point. Okay. Because you couldn't do the coursework and the full on large church production that's relentless right, right. at the same time. Sure. And so fortunately I got really wise counsel from a friend of mine about that. Uh-huh. And and it helped it helped me to be able to figure out that there may be life beyond just the church and that I could still have a ministry there. Yeah. And so at the end of 2018, I left my full-time position and finished my PhD, which I finished just a couple of weeks ago. So, Oh, wow. So now, uh, yeah. And it's cool because I've been able to work with a university here in Dallas and, uh, that's a Christian university and I've built a degree program that they're offering starting this fall. Oh, wow. In church media. Yeah. Okay. So really excited that there's traction going and the Lord's using me. I just don't know what exactly that looks like. But, sure. you know, faith is walking along when you don't always see it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's my journey. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a journey. I uh, thinking back. Uh, so to 2018, I think, is that when we we met up at the SALT conference? SALT conference, yeah. I had a couple of questions I needed to ask you and we ended up talking for over an hour yeah it was seemed like a while just about your journey and where you were and yeah seemed like a well-timed encounter yeah some might call it a divine encounter yeah okay i'll go there with you sure Yeah. yeah 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 i think it's so interesting the um to be uh sort of at a crossroads uh in your career um and you like for me at the crossroads where I've been over the years, there's a part of it that if I, I don't want to let anybody down. So I'm just going to keep going. Um, when the reality is you're not doing anyone any favors by sticking around in that. If, if you're, if it's not where you should be anymore. Yeah. And, uh, but that's a hard thing, especially I found as a tech person. Yeah. I'm responsible. I'm not going to drop the ball. And I don't want to let anyone down. And it's nice to know that there's a season for everything. And sometimes yeah. it's time to move on. And that's what not- was really cool for me, Todd, was that I realized by stepping out of the way, the young lady that I had been working with for almost 20 years was able to step right into my role. Uh-huh. Same title, same ministry level and she just stepped in and it was a seamless transition and she's killing it. I mean, yeah. she's doing such a great job and she sent me cause I'm still a volunteer, you know, on their volunteer and all of that. And she sent a volunteer email the other day uh-huh. and it said, you know, it said her name and it says media pastor. Uh-huh. And I, I screenshotted it and texted it to her. I said, this makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah. And so I think we have to just look at wins differently because you start realizing that, your your wins come from your influence uh-huh. and your legacy is built by the people that that are going further than you could have gone. Yeah. And it's just a different way to measure success. So right. Which is really how we have to measure success for staff and volunteers, too. Right. Yeah. Because that's honestly where we all get fouled up is if I measure success by what I did. Yeah. Versus what my team did. Well, then I'll never give anything away. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, that's definitely, that, I found that hard to do, especially as you're stepping out of doing and stepping into leadership, 
you have to define doing in a different way because you're not, yeah. uh, by your previous definition, you're not doing anything. And so it right. feels very empty and like, well, I defined myself by those things I was doing. Yeah. And now somebody else is doing them. I feel like I'm doing nothing. Yeah, I would say at the end of the day, I was like, I didn't do anything, but why am I so tired? <laughs> yeah, how come and, I'm here so many hours? <laughs> yeah, and then my wife would say, well, you did this and you did this and you did this. I'm like, yeah, but there was no output there. There was no tangible work. Right, and yeah. And she goes, well, there was. You invested in these people and you helped them do their thing. So I was grateful for my wife's perspective because it was it was a t- it's a tough transition if you've never made that transition from being a doer and a production person where you have an event and you set it all up and then the show happens and then you tear it all down there's a beginning a middle and an end to that but in yeah. leadership there's never a beginning a middle or an end it's all just leadership right right and and it never stops sure so that I was surprised by that from yeah. a standpoint of like leadership development. So, yeah. 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 So uh, one of the things uh, we were talking about earlier before we started recording was just your dissertation and what you, yes, you've been spending the last few months writing this thing. Uh, Why don't you just kind of summarize the idea and then we'll kind of tie it into kind of the production world. Okay, so it's important to know that my PhD is in communication. So I love communication. I love to see how people communicate. Uh, I especially like seeing how people and technologies communicate with one another and how that all works. And so obviously with a church production background, I mean, we have intercom with camera operators and directors and front of house and producers and everybody's talking to everyone and all of this. And um, so that that got me a lot of curiosity, but it's also almost impossible to research without some method or model to follow. Uh And so I I actually shifted a little bit and looked at communication in an aviation cockpit. Okay. And what happened was that I realized that there's this – I looked at solo pilots in general aviation. Okay. Which you would think there's no team communication there, but there's a lot of communication there with all of these technologies. Okay. So there's there's an iPad and there's a GPS navigator and then there's air traffic control that they talk to. And so what I did is I mapped out all these communication transactions and figured out, well, what did they mean and how did we do that? The application, though, in the church market, in the church production realm, is fascinating to me because we have this very interesting situation. We call it a socio, a complex socio-technical system. Okay. Which is a really cool phrase, right? <laughs> complex socio-technical. But basically what it means, it's people and technologies working together in a complex interaction. Okay. Which doesn't that sound exactly like every church production you know? Right. <laughs> right. Because when we have a failure, we always say, well, was it people, was it systems, or was it gear. Uh-huh. So that's a complex socio-technical system. Sure. And so as I looked at that, I realized there's several key components to that. And one of them, as we communicate, one is just having a robust communication system or process. Mm-hmm. So that system and process can often be like intercom. I think most people think, oh, it's intercom. Well, intercom's a part of it. Right. But what do you say on the intercom? Yeah. 
Well, we use these standardized phrases and things like that. So aviation uses standardized phrases to communicate a whole lot of information with very short phrases. Uh-huh. Well, so do we. Tilt up. Well, right. what's that mean? Yeah. If you don't know what tilt up means, first of all, you're lost. And and, and you might not know Jesus, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Audio people, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, yeah, so there's this phraseology. There's this lingo that we all kind of take for granted, but we don't realize where we often have miscommunication is when we have one leader that has one version of that lingo mm-hmm. and the other leader has another version of the lingo. And then we have a volunteer in the middle of that that uh-huh. doesn't know which is which. Sure. sure. So as as a as a ministry leader, you have to really begin to think about what are we calling things? What, how do we communicate? And so that's a, that's a big part of it, the standard phraseology. So, Uh you know, I don't really hold to one phraseology being, you know, biblical or whatever. (laughs) Except for tilt up. (laughs) Yeah. The tilt up is definitely in the Bible. I'm sure it's in there. Just give me a minute. It's it's in the original Hebrew. There you go. Uh, but really what I, my point would be is whatever it is, whatever your standard phraseology is, standardize it. Uh-huh. So, you know, if you call um, your welcome time where, well, you back in the day before we were all scared to touch one another, <laughs> you'd have like a greeting time in church, right? right? Yeah. Well, in Texas, in a Texas church, we had to come up with some better way to say sure, it. Sure, a bigger normal. way, yeah, right. And so for us, we would call it shake and howdy. Uh-huh. Well, if you didn't know what shake and howdy was, what's that mean? But everyone on our team knew what shake and howdy was. Uh-huh. And so it didn't matter what it was as long as it was standard. So that's yeah. that's what I mean by that. Um, the other thing we noticed is that we think a lot of like intercom communication because there's a lot of people – um, in in the scholarship realm, we would say they're not co-located with one another. Or okay. in the normal people realm, we'd say they're not in the same room. Right, right. <laughs> and really what I would say, less of being in the same room is more of what I'd say is line of sight. Okay. Okay, so we use intercom to say, okay, this person who's in front of house is now communicating with the person who's back of house, who's communicating with the person in video control. That makes lots of sense. And that system is important. But another key component I saw in aviation, especially in airline aviation with a crew, is what they call gestures or visual information trajectories, Okay, which is kind of another cool. cool yeah, phrase. right. You're pulling out all the, the cool phrases. Yeah. So everyone's going to be smarter, hopefully, by the end of this. Uh, <laughs> I worked really hard to make everyone smarter. The idea, though, is, OK, you're my producer and you're sitting beside me or my assistant director or my TD and I'm directing and you tell me something via comm, but I don't have any more bandwidth to talk to you because I'm talking to cameras. Right, right. And so all I do is shake my head up and down. Mm-hmm. So you know I've received your message, but if I'm only listening via comm, no one would ever know that. Right. And so those information happening through gestures are really important. Another thing would be like an assistant director might point to a camera monitor and the director would go, oh, okay. Um, We had a process in front of house because the house producer was in the room with the front of house. And the house producer would just hit the flashlight on the intercom 
And so his little light would turn on at front of house. Instead of trying to answer the phone because of where it was in service, the front of house operator would just turn to the house producer and the house producer would hold up a red marks a lot. Okay. Which meant red video is queued and ready. And then the house, uh, the house front of house operator would make a big gesture and bring the ha- the fader up for red video. Okay. So the house producer now knew red is hot in the house. Mm-hmm. And the house producer would then click in on calm to the director and say, red's hot in the house. Uh-huh. In other words, you take it, we're all going to hear it. Yeah. So there was this kind of interesting trajectory combination between intercom, verbal, and gestures and visual. And I think often that's one of those things as a team we fail to get is that we can use visual gestures in certain situations to help foster that communication. You see it in in camera operators a lot. I was actually watching uh, one of my students, uh, she was running camera for her live stream yesterday. And I, I saw her in the background and so I knew what camera she was on and they took her camera right as she was saying, yes. And she was shaking her camera up and down in the <laughs> yes gesture. So I was, I was chatting with her last night. I said, yeah, I saw your yes. And she goes, oh no, that was on air because she didn't have a tally light. She didn't know. Right, right. Yeah. And so you see these gestures happen a lot. But I, I think a lot of times we don't really think about the value of that. Right. And all of that to say is that There's no one right way. You just as a leader have to think about how communication is is going out and being received and then how you get a feedback loop that it was received. Right, right. You know, and so those are those fundamentals of that. And I think sometimes as leaders, we get really frustrated with our volunteers. Why don't they understand? Right, right. Well, I'm not sure you would be angry with a customs official in – you know, Peru, when you're speaking in loud English (laughs) and they're not understanding. Right. And so all you do is you just talk louder because maybe that will help them understand. But the problem is you're not really speaking their language that they understand. Right. I think we put our volunteers in that spot a lot more Mm -hmm. than we realize in that. How do they not know what that means? Well, did you teach them that? Is that standard? And, uh, yeah, so what I would typically see as, as a problem with volunteers being able to understand what your commands are and what you're trying to get them to do, that's not the volunteer. That's a system process. That's not even you. It's not you. It's not the volunteer. It's your system that you've set up by which you train them and you teach them the right language. Yeah. I think it's really interesting just the idea of uh, how you communicate and and the – the environment that it creates. Uh, I think about in the past, my some of my production experience where not enough people are using comm, and so there's a lot of yelling from the stage uh, to the yeah. booth, and which, while uh, you know there might not be anything uh, emotional behind the yelling, after a while the yelling just feels like, why do you keep yelling at me? Yeah, you're you know, still just, yelling. Yeah. yeah, and so having to change the culture to be like, hey, we're going to talk on intercom. There's a there's a handset up by the stage. If you need something, talk to me. Or just even thinking about the way intercom has changed uh, since I started uh, when it was one or two channels. Now it's a digital intercom and all the things yeah. you can do with it now. 
you know, the band leader can talk into a microphone that's hooked into the intercom system and I can talk to him and, you know, just, uh, I think, yeah, this is not something that just automatically happens. Uh, like you were saying, as the leader, you need to create a s- system that allows for calm, normal communication and a way of, of quickly getting things done without it escalating. You know, the other part of that is we have to come to terms with the reality that communication is inherently broken. Mm-hmm. And we can mm-hmm. track that back to the Tower of Babel. Okay, yeah. And so the the very thing that causes communication to be frustrating at times is the very thing that God's put in place so that we don't sin more. <laughs> okay? And so every time we're trying to improve communication, we're actually trying to overcome a bit of a curse from the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe that the Lord allows us wisdom to know how to do that in a redemptive way. Okay? But I'll give you a perfect example of that. We used to have our worship leader would say, oh, um, that's, that should go A, B, 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 C, bridge, and repeat the tag. And my, my graphics operators, which were trying to figure out now, what do I do? Uh-huh. They would literally, because they're upstairs in this booth and they just hear this. They would literally throw up their hands and say, I don't know what that means. And they would be yelling at the window that, you know, they couldn't hear it on the stage, but they could. All you saw from the stage was like hand gestures. Yeah. And were they flipping me off? I don't know. And but visual communication. Had, just, yeah, visual yeah. communication. That's a visual information trajectory. That may or may not be. That's, my, that's my new, uh, yeah. when I say that, you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so what we we were fortunate we had a children's conference come in and uh, do you remember uh, you'd probably know Jill that was used to be at Willow Creek Oh yeah sure yeah she and her husband Chris came and they helped run that conference Okay and they had the craziest thing they had a notebook with the lyrics printed out <laughs> And I was like that's genius so we started printing out our lyrics and we put our slide number beside the lyric uh-huh. okay so our graphics operator knew what slide number then the house producer when the when the worship leader started going a b b b c c they would run to the stage with their notebook and then show them and say oh now tell me what you want this to do and they would go uh-huh. oh who gave you these lyrics? Well, you gave me these lyrics. Oh, oh, okay. Hey, well, let's change these. X, 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 two times, two times, tag. Hey, mm-hmm. can you email me that so that I know for next time? Oh, sure, no problem. Yeah. Then the house producer would go back to Common and go, slide 1552, cut. 1554, cut. 1555, repeat. And 1554. Uh, seven, repeat. Mm-hmm. Got it? Oh, yeah, no big deal. Yeah. And so what we did is we created translations. Right. And a common language. Now, that seems ridiculously simple, but you talk about the yelling from the platform, between the platform and the booth, that was the single most influential thing that changed that yelling. Huh. Because it gave us something, a common ground to speak about. Right. And it was... It was printed, so we it wasn't like we were making it up. Right, right. Now everyone could see exactly what was being talked about. Yeah. And it just suddenly it just gelled the team. Sure. And it was 
It was transformative in our relationships. We're going to take a little break from our conversation with Wes to talk about one of Philo's partners. High Vision has been a sponsor of Philo, helping us bring together technical artists since 2016. And the team at High Vision has a passion to help those of us in the local church become more effective at what we do by offering broadcast quality, volunteer-friendly video streaming solutions. High Vision has a variety of solutions deployed by ministries across the globe, really in two main categories, online ministry and multi-campus churches. Their online ministry solutions include options for live video streaming, simulated live, and video on demand, as well as analytics to help you engage with your online congregation and nurture those connections. For on-campus solutions, they offer multi-site delivery to share video across campuses, real-time video for campus coaching and monitoring, and even low-latency bi-directional video so that campuses can come together and worship in real time. The team of streaming experts at High Vision have years of experience working with ministries and churches to come up with video streaming solutions that fit each unique situation. They want to make sure that you have a video streaming solution that works for your ministry and your team and your resources and, of course, your congregation. We all have a lot to do on the weekend, and High Vision wants to give you one less thing to worry about on Sundays, which is why they have 24-7 support available. Go figure. Support when you actually need it on the weekends. You can visit highvision.com slash digital dash philo to learn more about how you can create real connections with streaming video. Oh, and as a philo listener, while you're there, you can enter to win an Apple TV. All right, let's get back to the rest of the podcast. Just thinking about my own experience and kind of those miscommunication uh, moments, especially between the platform and the control room, did it take much convincing to say, hey, I need you to like figure out how the song structure is going to go and then email me those lyrics? Like for a musician, that feels like I'm going to totally overgeneralize, <laughs> but feels like a stretch, you know, that sure. they would be organized enough to do something like that. But even to get pushback on why do we have to lock this in so much? Yeah, I'm just curious. Well, I was fortunate because my worship pastor was one of these that really believed the Holy Spirit could could talk to him on Tuesday. Oh, there you go. As he was planning his service. Uh And so he really would, you know, bathe that whole uh, service in prayer. And and they would would, uh, lay it all out. Okay. And then there was kind of this sense of humility that said, well, when we rehearse it, we rehearsed on Saturday before the Saturday night service. Uh-huh. When we rehearse it, we're going to pay really close attention to the Holy Spirit. And if something doesn't work, we'll change it. Sure. Okay. And so that's that. it didn't feel canned sure. at all. Sure, right. And so he was already putting these lyrics in as, as he was planning it from the repeat stand, standpoint. Right, right. So I didn't have to invent anything new. I just had to adapt what he was already sending me, sure, which okay. was phenomenal. Yeah. Now, we had other worship leaders that were not so happy about that. Uh-huh. And then along came Ableton. Okay. <laughs> and Ableton solved all of our problems. <laughs> oh, in many ways because they had to they had to track with it, right? Oh, right. And so they had, yeah, they had to plan it. And so that was really cool because now we didn't have to fight for lyrics and how they would do it because they wanted it to all be right. And so it, it worked out. Sure, so, yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's not too bad. But I think it really, really is worth the effort and energy to 
to as much as possible give a very strong layout of what that song looks like i think it helps everybody sure right and i think yeah. the 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 challenge that uh that i bumped into a lot was just this idea of okay we're going to lock this in and not change it which yeah. i would admit that in some of my years at willow creek that is kind of how we operated like this is yeah. what it is and end of story but the reality is that we need to have a solid plan a we need to come in here knowing exactly what we're going to do and then once we start rehearsing it, if it needs to change, then at least we're all kind of on the same page already. And mm-hmm. we're making the change from a common location instead of I'm already lost. And so you're changing it. Now I'm even more lost yeah. uh, and I'm f- more frustrated. Uh, yeah, because you're like, I, I don't know where I'm. You want to change. And I didn't know where I was in the first place. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, so I was still playing I, catch up. Yeah. Yeah. My iPhone's still trying to find my location. Yeah. And I'm in the middle of a lake right now. Right. Yeah. And it, it's I'm I'm holding it trying to get signal. But <laughs> yeah, that's I think that helps a lot. To me, the idea is create your system in a way that's as flexible as is reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that answer is, well, I can't do that today for today's service, but I can do it for tomorrow's service. Right, you know, if yeah, you have a Saturday, totally. Sunday, that helped. Or I can't do it for the 930 service, but by 11, we'll have that nail. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, so, or we can't do it at all this weekend, but for next time, we'll definitely make that right. Right, right. And then you proactively go after it. So it's not back to the worship leader of having to remember that. It's it's I'm making it right by proactively making sure we do that. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard thing. And it's, you know, I think we all forget that all of this is live. Right. And there's a sense of anxiety that comes from that. And we have to make sure we have, that our pivoting and our changing and our flexibility doesn't harm our volunteers right. because long-term that ends up hurting us because our volunteers are, they have enough excitement in their everyday life. <laughs> they don't need that necessarily in their, you know, weekend life. Right. And so right. they kind of like to succeed at what they're doing on the weekend. And when they put up the wrong lyric or don't follow along with the worship leader, that feels like failure. Now sure. the audience may say, Oh, that's not failure to them. It's failure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you might as well just start a timer. If on a recurring basis, those, um, volunteers fail, they're going to, they will bail at some sure, point. Nobody yeah. can fail for that long. One of the greatest things that we did uh, in my earlier years at Willow Creek was we had a volunteer appreciation service. And mm-hmm. so we would give all of our volunteers the night off and we would fill in with staff positions, all the the different uh, jobs, especially in video. So like we would get a worship leader to run lyrics yeah, was the most um, educational experience uh, for that person to realize what it's like trying to follow someone, yeah, and trying to predict and yeah, um, yeah it just it's a, I think it's real easy. I think production is a mystery to most people, mm-hmm. and so until you're doing it, you don't really know what's involved and what what types of things would be helpful to know ahead of time and. Um, Yeah, because I think it just magically happens for most people. You know, I think that production is one of those beautiful moments that the Lord gives us to be able to think about another person's perspective that's completely different than our own. Mm -hmm. So as production people, we're like, well, I don't want to mess this up, and I'm really worried, and so they need to give me more information. So 
will always attenuate fear with more information, more right, data. Right, right. That's kind of how we're wired up. If you just give me more information, I'll be happy. Yeah. Well, we really won't be. But I think we forget <laughs> that the person that's on the platform has some anxiety too. Right, yeah. And I think sometimes the Lord gives us this opportunity to to actually care for people on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. So as a worship leader, if you put yourself in the position of the tech artist and think, how does this feel? Yeah. You're, you're, you're thinking about the body of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. As a tech artist and you say, how does it feel to be there? How does it feel for this drummer to be ensconced in this cage that's soundproof? <laughs> does, does that feel claustrophobic? Does that feel, you know? Right. And I think sometimes we forget and especially lately, you know, we're all very self-focused right now. Mm-hmm. And and we, we like what our opinion. And I think the church service provides this opportunity to, to think about others. And I believe that, that that often is the missing element right. in a really healthy team. And when you look at teams that really function well, you really see community more than production. Right, yeah. And I think good production flows out of love for one another. Yeah. Wow. I think the, you know, just thinking about the drum cage that the, you know, <laughs> the claustrophobic drum cage, if you're the audio engineer, you want to succeed and you want the drums to sound as good as possible. You want the control over all the mix. And so you put the drummer in a cage without really thinking. I think most people don't think about what are, what are we asking the drummer to live through? Yeah. Um, and maybe not even give him a fan, you know. <laughs> you know, that's his problem. He chose to be a drummer. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I think what you're saying is so true that that we're all in a in a our culture is about covering your own um, stuff, making sure you, that everything's in place for you to succeed, yeah. and that there won't be any grace, uh, you know, any for any failure. Um, when the reality is, yeah, let's just talk about, maybe it is the best thing to put the drummer in a cage. Uh, maybe they're, uh, but maybe we could try it without, uh, or maybe certain drummers should and certain drummers shouldn't or whatever, but that it, well, that's for sure. There are some drummers belong in a cage that there's no, <laughs> for other reasons, like, not because they're yeah, loud drummers. Not, yeah. nothing to do with the music <laughs> side of it. But I think you're exactly right. I think, I think that if we just care yeah. About and have a conversation and say, okay, as a team, what are we wanting to accomplish? Okay, so we want this whole vibe to be very studio sound. Yeah. Okay, the only way we're going to get that studio sound is to isolate some things. Yeah. But then if we want this real kind of coffee house vibe, well, that's a completely different thing. Yeah. And I think, again, what are we trying to accomplish as a team, both musically and experientially and i think sometimes the music team has one idea of what they want and the tech team has a whole nother one right and i think again just talking and caring about each other just to and to value what they're doing i mean i can't drum i'm a terrible drummer Uh it's really bad and so i really respect that skill and I, I think that's the key in my mind is to respect one another's gifting. Right. And understand I'm not an eye, I'm not a hand, I'm this. 
Sure. And so without you, I don't have anything to mix. Yeah. Without you, I don't have anything on my lens, in my lens to shoot. Um, so I think those are the kind of things I think that really, really help. Right. I know for me, when I uh, would come up against something that I felt like I was being set up to fail, not not on purpose, but like a situation, like, yeah. like just go back to the drums. The drums are too loud and I cannot succeed without putting this person in a cage. The I think for me, I held on to that concern and tried to solve it myself because it's my job to. Um, instead of saying, hey, I'm really struggling with these things. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about what the possible solutions are? And maybe yeah. maybe uh, the solution is, hey, let's leave the drummer out of, you know, from behind the shield and he can play as loud as he wants. That's what we lo- we love it that way. Yeah. And if I know that's what success is, I'm going to relax and, you know, okay, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, but instead of trying to solve the problem and take all the responsibility myself, uh, I, I'm not, I'm doing the team a disservice by saying, hey, let's solve this together. Um, I ha- maybe have, I have a list of things that, uh, ways I think we could solve this problem. And I just need somebody to help me decide which is the best one. Well, I think you may you may have a different view of it, but I've found that just temporary trials of things really succeed a lot. So yeah. I don't want to put the drummer in a cage forever. Yeah. But for the next series, for the next four weeks, could we try this? Sure. Knowing that this background behind the drummer is a hard surface. Yeah. And so if we could settle that drum volume down a little bit for the next four weeks. Let's just try it and see if we like it. Right. And we may all hate it. I may hate it. Sure. And so that sense of humility that says this is a solution, there's nothing in the Bible about it, and who knows if we'll even like it or not. Right, right. I think but that... I think what, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it's such a good point to say, hey, let's just try this and see what happens. Not only is it a good thing for me as a tech person to say out loud, like, hey, just can we try this? But even to to um, if I'm on the other side of that conversation, hey, let's just try this to to be humble enough to say, I don't think it's going to work, but I will try it. Um, You know, if you think it's going to be a failure technically, but yeah, to be willing to try something for a season. You know, the if I had to say the number one thing I learned in my PhD work, it was to quantify or qualify everything. Hmm. Meaning if I assert something, I have to support that with research. Okay. And many things that I assert don't have research. Okay. So if I'm going to assert it, I have to say it is possible that perhaps it might be. Mm-hmm. And there's just this sense of humility that says, I don't know right. what I don't know. Yeah. And unless there's scholarship to prove it, I have to just assume it could be. It's something that's interesting to me, but I don't know if it will be real or not. Mm-hmm. And I think that would that would be a really great starting place as a tech director to say, it might really be helpful if mm-hmm. this could be a really great solution. If we were to try this, would it would be interesting to discover how it affected, but I don't know. We may hate it. I may yeah. hate it. Yeah, yeah. But I think sometimes in our, again, in our polarized world, I have to assert it with full confidence. And even if I do hate it, if I admit I hate it, well, then <laughs> I, I was wrong. Right. And now I have no credibility because last time I was wrong. Yeah. But if every time you assert it, you're saying, 
this could work. It might not work. There's nothing in the Bible about a drum cage. Yeah. That I'm aware of. Right. And so let's try it out and see what happens. Yeah. And so I think that kind of humility in our communication would be really, really useful. Yeah. I don't know if it's our culture where there's so little grace, it seems, to be right or wrong or unsure. But it definitely, when I think about the teams that I've been on that worked really well together, that's been kind of the, you know, just a very open-handedness about, yeah. hey, we don't know, let's try it. Uh, doesn't yeah. work, let's not do it. Let's try something else. Well, in the realm of information that we have to deal with, everything is coming at us and there's so much information. Honestly, we don't have time to process a it might work solution. Right. We want the it will work solution. But tell me anything in life that you're 100% sure will work. Right, yeah. You know, I'm going to take this road and go here and do this. That's my direction to my destination. That will work unless there's an accident or unless there's construction or unless your car breaks down or unless your tire's flat. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's nothing certain, even though it looks certain, it's not. But I don't think we know how to process uncertainty. And so rather than say, yeah, let's try this as a possible solution, we see it as I've got to have a sure solution because ain't nobody got time for that. Uh-huh, right. And I think that's, I think it's just part of our culture right now, which is unfortunate. I think, I think the church is hurting itself at some level because there's not a sense of humility and, and community that says together we're going to work through this. Right, right. Um, it, it might change now with COVID-19 and how everything's completely changed and transformed. Everyone's having to work together in a way they never did before. Yeah. Because our world's been turned upside down. Suddenly there are no roads. There's no, you can't just go and look and see what another church did and repeat it. Right. And it's so hyper local of how it actually has to play out because it's all based on your staffing and your gear and your your current reality as of today versus yesterday. Right, yeah. And and I think in many ways it's chaotic, but in other ways it's completely beautiful because it forces our teams to work together in a way and communicate in a way that's never never happened before. And I think there's an appreciation for the teams as never before. Right. I think we're, you know, part of it is we're in a situation where nobody has done this. Uh, mm-hmm. Where So just when I say nobody, like if you look at your team, the pastor doesn't know what's going on. The worship leader doesn't know what to do. The tech, per, you know, the tech team is figuring out stuff on the fly. Like everybody's in learning mode. And yeah, uh, yeah which puts kind of it's a level playing field suddenly or yeah. at least uh, it feels like it. Yeah, because basically everyone's got hum- it. Everyone is humiliated at some level, right? So, and, and I mean that because I believe that at the heart of all learning is humiliation. Yeah, Because okay. you basically humble yourself and say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And by saying, I don't know, you're now p- perfectly positioned to learn. Right. I think everybody, 100% of the people right now are in, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Which is a beautiful time to learn. So as a team, now all of us are learning together. I personally think that this will be one of those hallmarks that everyone will look back and say, hey, remember that? And how, look how much we grew as a team and as a community together, like never before. Remember how we had to just turn all that service around with, with no prep. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, I think 
long long term, we're going to look back and and say thank you, Jesus, for building your church in a way we would have never wanted, would have never imagined, and certainly would never want to repeat. Right, right. <laughs> but but thank you for it, and yeah. I, I really think that will be our song that we'll sing one day. Yeah, it won't be to tomorrow. I don't. Think. I don't think. <laughs> no, no time soon, maybe. But uh... I think tomorrow, I just want toilet paper. So. <laughs> Oh, man. Hey, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. It was great to kind of hear your heart and the, yeah, the stuff that you're learning in a different uh, realm, but how it applies to what we're doing. Uh, that's so yeah. cool that I love that idea of kind of, uh, you know, back up your if it's going to be a statement, a declarative statement, you have to back it up with something that, mm-hmm. that's uh, I think so good for us to to remember yeah. just in everyday and- life. And an Instagram meme is not a source. I don't know. I just want to, want to mention that as an important element. Good to know. So, For those of you um, getting your PhD, yeah, stay away from yeah, the Instagram not, well, memes. Unless, I say that unless you're studying Instagram memes, and then it's okay. <laughs> but you know what I would – I think one of the biggest things I learned, Todd, is that we as a church leader can learn from anything. Mm-hmm. And so one of the biggest – things that helped my team get better is I became a private pilot. Mm -hmm. And so I learned communication in an aviation industry. Mm -hmm. So I learned checklists, which is fascinating when you think about why would we never, why would we not use a checklist for tech prep for repeatable tasks? But if you've never thought about that from a different industry standpoint, you wouldn't apply it. And so I would say in this time that's, you know, maybe no one knows exactly what's going on to to really decide i want to learn something mm. from someplace else so how does a hospital communicate how how did that other church communicate in the midst of crisis how did that university communicate to all those students how did the university suddenly turn all of their classes online how did and so just start asking those questions of different industries and i think I think it ends up benefiting the kingdom in a in a really unique way. Yeah, oh, so good. All right, thanks for joining us. And oh. uh, yeah, it was a great time just catching up. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I love the idea that communication is at the heart of what we do and that more than the gear, it is love that defines a great production. I mean, it's a little counterintuitive, but so true. The part of our conversation uh, when we talked about how it is up to us to create systems where our communication can help our volunteers succeed, it's so important. And if we aren't strategic in how we communicate, half of us can end up lost and the other half yelling to the stage. And I mean, Wes had so many big word phrases, but I still loved it. You know, we should always be humble enough to keep learning. And that's what I love about Wes. All right. Now that we've come up for air here at Philo, uh, after the Philo and Espanol event, we're looking to the future and we have some big announcements coming up soon. Uh, Nothing I can say currently, but you can keep up to date with all the Philo stuff that we've got going on by subscribing to our podcast, just wherever you listen to those podcasts. And while you're there, you could give us a review. It helps us get the word out to other church technical artists with relevant content and, yeah, just trying to help everybody become more effective. Uh, you can also keep up to date with us by following us on Facebook and Instagram. We are at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram and at Philo Conference on Twitter. And always, you can go to our website. All the stuff is there, philo.org. 
All right. It's good to be with you and we'll see you next time. 